Hey everyone, you might remember me from Teen Mom 2, but my 15 minutes is almost up. So I'm back with another podcast. I'm your barely famous host, Kale Lowry, and I'm catching up with people from my past, putting my exes on the hot seat, and chatting with TikTokers, influencers, and other reality stars. Get Weird With Me every Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Dr. Drew Podcast. Appreciate you all being here. Uh, again, we love the Corolla Faithful. Uh, keep the winds in the face. Sail the Corolla Pirate Ship here. I know we have a lot of ads on this show, and that is the uh, podcast one way, so I apologize for that. Uh, but they are things that I can stand behind, thank goodness. Uh, also, check out uh, drdrew.tv for our streaming show. Uh, just interesting show right now. Uh, some of the great stuff we've had up. You should look up Alan Shore and James Fallon. These are interviews. These are classic interviews, and you can find them all at Dr.TV. And you can join us live, uh, usually 3 o'clock, like Tuesday through Thursday. It's sort of our typical thing. And do not forget After Dark, Dr. Drew After Dark at your mom's house. Get it all at drdrew.com. Again, I love the Corolla Faithful over there. Today, one of my favorite people, Anthony Howard Brown. The book is From Park Bench to Park Avenue, One Man's Journey Out of Homelessness. You can follow uh, Anthony at Twitter at, at Brown underscore Manor, and you'll understand what the Brown Manor is all about in just a minute. And AnthonyHowardBrown.com also does a GoFundMe site, search Brown Manor, and we'll talk about that eventually. But welcome, my friend. Hey, thank you for having me. So, uh, you know, I've interviewed in many different contexts. I think this is the first time here, right? Yes. This, yeah. And because of that, uh, each of these sort of podcasts have their own little world. So I'm going to ask you to kind of go through your story again. And and I love your story because I just love war stories. They're just – people are – do you agree with me that people are funny? <laughs> Absolutely. People are funny. <laughs> <laughs> people are just fucking hysterical. And no more so than an addict because the, the thinking gets so fucked up with addicts that it's just – it's – and, and the great thing is, this is one of the things I push back on. People go, there's stigma. There's stigma. We're calling somebody now. There's stigmas. It's like, no, no. Nobody loves laughing at their shit more than the addict looking back going, oh, my God. That's that's hysterical, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if, otherwise, you, if you didn't laugh, I, I don't know what we – it's it's too macabre. So let's tell your story. You grew up in Ohio. Yes. I, um, I'm from a little small town called Steubenville. It's about a mile by mile. But um, I've been um, – Around alcohol and drugs and violence all my life. That's that's what I know. And that was your mom, or yeah, my mom was an alcoholic. I have um, four siblings. None of us have the same dad. And do you know your dad? Uh, no, I never met him before. You know, I found out um, his name on my birth certificate when I was fifteen. You thought about going out and looking, or hell no, for it, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late now. Well, know? not only that, you know, my experience has been it's always very disappointing. <laughs> it's never a good thing. But if you want, if you like, you have to. It's okay, but yeah, and not not going to turn out well. Yeah, at one point in time I thought about it, and I just went, you know, oh, well, I'm kind of old right now. But um, and um, so I've always been around the legit stepdad, you know, and um, the one that I can remember, he he drank, my mom drank, and you know, there's a bunch of violence going on, and you know, to me that between, was normal between them. Oh yeah, between them, and you know, the violence bled onto her kids, so we got a bunch of ass whippings and things like that back in the day. And you said she used to pull a cord out. Extension court, yeah, that was her favorite technique, you know. And she, my mom took beatings to a whole torture level. Nice. I mean, the psychological aspect—you knew it was coming, 
You know, when you build it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh I mean, she'd tell you, you know, I'm going to beat your ass in a minute. It's like, okay, well, um, let me wait for it, you know? (laughs) And, um, and extension cords hurt. They do. She'd use the, the working end. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely, and she she welded it with authority, <laughs> and so um, and I remember once because you know as little kids in an abusive um, household we get into shit, you know, and um, I remember one time where she used to be a housekeeper or something at a bank, and me and my sister stole some stole some stuff, you know, cause, from the bank, yeah, from the bank, because we we you know I've I've been a thief. You know, I mean, well, it's a weird, interesting side effect of of uh, physical abuse of children. They always start trying to wait, immediately start thinking about ways to fuck with things. It's a weird side effect, right? They they all start like trying to, because all they got is their wiles now, right? Right. So they right. start thinking about how I'm gonna how I'm gonna undermine her, undermine the system, undermine everything, and sort of empower myself in some way. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and when you're poor, I mean, how else are you gonna get anything? Yeah. You know, and so. Um, when we stole, um, we used to go through the drawers um, of the desk in the in the bank, and you know, steal candy and shit like that. Then one day we um, found a bunch of envelopes full of money, oh. you know, and so we stole that, of course. And um, how old were you? Oh my god, probably twelve. Mm. And um, me and my sisters were in cahoots. Two sisters. Yes. How many, yeah. Fourth is a brother. Yes. And do you still you know your sisters? Yeah, so, I, I I know them. They're um they're back east still. How are they doing? <laughs> uh, not as well. Not as well. No, when you uh, when you come from a um, dysfunctional alcoholic family, it tends to channel down through the network. Well, well the intergenerational aspect. So sh- they, of course, seek unintentionally seek out abusive men, alcoholic men, and so it goes. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And then they have kids, and then those guys leave, and then another alcoholic dude comes in, and then they have kids, and he leaves. People wonder how does intergenerational trauma get transmitted? There it is. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's just and and then then people tell themselves stories about why everything's fucked up, right? What was the story you heard? Well, the story I heard why everything's fucked up it's because that's that's what you was trained to do, you know, or it was society's fault. Society's fault, right? Was there any specifics at the time back then that they were telling you, mom was telling you, or dad was telling you? You don't remember? Well, I, I don't remember. They, they actually, I think they actually did you a favor not telling you a just-so story. You know what I mean? Right, right. You, you would, that would be kind of solidified in your head. So, yeah, well, it, it was it was survival mode more yeah. than anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, we drank and used and all of that stuff. As but, a teenager now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But when we stole money from the bank, it's, it's funny because that's when I got, like, the royal ass weapon. <laughs> you know, the one well, I'll never 12, forget. You were 12. You're a big man. You must not have been – a little kid anymore. No, I wasn't, but my mom was a big woman too, so it didn't matter. Uh-oh. You know, I mean, she ruled. Oh. And um, after after the feds came and busted us and all that the shit. The feds? Yeah, they came. <sighs> Did she get in trouble? Um, I think she got fired. But um, my sister snitched me out, you know, and um, when, the, when the feds came and, you know, my sisters gave up their money, I spent all mine, you know, because <laughs> I, I tend to buy friendships. You know, and so I spent all mine, and I didn't have the money. And once you the feds spent it on your friends at the time, yeah. How did yeah. you avoid getting into a gang, or what was that a gang thing? Um, back in Ohio, we didn't we didn't have didn't something have like it. that. No, right. no, I mean, we we're Oof. only luckily. Yeah, we we're one mile by one mile. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, all of us had shotguns and all that shit, but oh. there wasn't no gangs. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> and then it's really funny. You're a redneck white dude. <laughs> <laughs> You're darn too. <laughs> And uh, I know how to hunt and fish, <laughs> but um, and it's really fascinating because uh, once she discovered that, then I remember um, she she made me lay on the floor 
on the carpeted floor and she put her foot on the back of my neck and, yeah. hit, and beat me with her extension cord. There was no escape, you yeah. know. And uh, then when she got tired and smoked her Benson and Hedges, then I got up and split, you know. Let me ask you something about that phenomenon. It, it gives me chills to hear about a 12-year-old or a kid being treated with literally the, the kind of whipping that went on in the 19th century. Do you, do you think that's where that came from? Um. I don't know. She had to learn that from somewhere. But like we were talking about how shit comes down through the generations, that's such a specific behavior. You know what I mean? You have to – it wouldn't occur to most parents to do that. So, somehow that got transmitted to her from somebody who got it transmitted to them as a way to discipline somebody. Yeah. There wasn't – we didn't have none of that timeout shit. Do you, you know, know where you <laughs> – that pussy shit. Yeah. Do you, do you know where your family came from, how they migrated up to Ohio? Or did they come from the south or do we know? I, I don't know. I don't know. Wouldn't that be interesting to know? It, it would be. But um, <clears throat> early on, I kind of – No, I know you wouldn't – you, you were surviving. You were, yeah, you were yeah. It was all about, about existing. But now, I mean, people will find as we go through the story where you are now is a totally different place. And I, I, I'm, I'm – stuff that I'm interested in, you tend to be interested in. So it's kind of interesting. But anyway, so that happened. Then then where are we going? Okay. And so um, <laughs> after that, I discovered that um, – that's, that's when I, I I took off after she was smoking her Benson and Hedges. You, you know? just bolted. I ran, man. You and know. did you leave home and that was it? Uh, well, I went to my friend's house to hide in a closet. But I mean, is that when you ran away from home? Um, shortly afterwards, yeah. Yeah, because when kids run away from home, it's because there's abuse in the home. Right. That's when they run away and stay away. Anyway, so and did you stay away that time? Uh, no, I got busted, and <laughs> then um, shortly after that, then I ran away from home. A carnival came in town. You know, I figured that's my exit ticket. So when the carnival left, I left with them. Did you just go in and befriend the ticket salespeople? I'm just trying to imagine you're how old, like 14? Yeah, I'm 14, yeah. And you go in and you you start talking to the guys running the rides or something? or Yeah, well, when, when carnivals come to town, they always pick up the locals to do the labor. Oh. And so – So there was just already a job, help wanted sign. Exactly, exactly. Uh-uh. And so I, I went and, you know, um, that was during the time when he was leaving. I tore down a ride and, you know, just jumped in the truck and left. What, what ride? Just to really paint the uh, picture. It was a tip for top. Me. A tip top. What, tip. what is that? Um, it's it's a it's on a platform and there's these little um, like bowl things you sit in and then you turn the steering wheel in the middle. Oh, okay, like and like it spins the, around like, and shit. Like the like the uh, uh, teacup. Like teacup. Yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Tip top. Yeah. Tip top. Right, got it. And so now you're uh, on the road. I'm on the road. All through the Midwest or all throughout the country. I just drew um, the Midwest. Midwest. Yeah. And and now. Drugs become available. Yeah, well, drugs has always been there. Um, I would, I started smoking. I, would, I was still in pills, you know, back in the day. I mean, I started shooting drugs when I was young and everything. Shooting else. drugs. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I knew that part of your story. Tell me that. Um, when I was, um, when I was, when I was, I was drinking and using for a long time. I mean, starting at twelve or eleven. Or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it was pills, pills. You know, quaaludes back then. Mm. Um, Old school. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What, you shot something. What did you shoot? Oh, preludens. Preludens. I don't even remember what those are. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a diet pill. Oh, so speed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember the first time I've ever seen somebody do it was a lady had scabs all over her arms and everything. Well, of course, the picking syndrome. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, hey, you know, what's that? That's for about? me. <laughs> 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 Give me some. You know? and, and so um, <laughs> she hit me up and I was addicted. You know? and, right um, away to meth, to oh, speed, yeah. rather. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I like the effect. I mean, it, it just... It was good. All right. You know, and so I learned how to do that. And so when the carney came, you know, it wasn't that hard for me to. God, it's so lucky to get really serious medical problems. 
Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I was, I was spared. Something, something was looking over me throughout my whole life. Woo! You know, I mean, yeah. I was, hell, I was born with the umbilical cord tied around my neck. So, is that true? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah so, and so I'm off, I'm off with the carny. You know, doing a carny thing and um, and the, shooting drugs the whole time. Oh yeah. And did you switch over to meth at that point? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't do meth. Till I came to California. And what were you shooting on the carnival in the uh, Midwest? Uh, Preludes. You can still get your hands on them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You can always find somebody with diet pills. And so you didn't think this cocaine, I might should try that or No, we didn't we didn't have none of that back then. Wow. You know. Interesting. And so um doing doing math and um the lotties. Oh, so there's the uh, opiates came in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't like it. So really them. kind of a speedball you were doing. Yeah, but the lot oh, you didn't like opiates. No, it makes you throw up, man. Oh yeah. You know, that, that messes with the bugs. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So um but the Prelutins, you can stay up, you know, for days, yeah. put the rides together, yeah. you know, all of that stuff. And so I traveled with them um, throughout the the winter time, not throughout the summer, and then winter time they came back into winter quarters, and then that's when I'll start living in abandoned houses and you know all of that stuff. So now you're homeless, really homeless. Yeah, I'm homeless. I mean, you're essentially you're a sort of a hobo with the with the uh, carnival. You're a carny, yeah. and then now you go full homeless. Why did you leave the carny? Because it was only six, you know, six months. Oh, it's wintertime. Okay, right, right, right. Yeah. And you'd have to put years in in order to get a, you know, winter position and all of that. Wow. And so, and you told me you slept under the rides. Yeah, underneath the tip top. Oh, I thought you said it was the tilt-a-whirl. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> the tilt-a-whirl, no, I ain't. And that's sissy shit. I mean, the, the tip top. I'm sorry, carnies, you know what I mean? But, um, but uh, the tip top's on a platform. Yeah. And um, so underneath that is where I lived. There's lots of room under there. Yeah, lots of room. You know, it's almost like my own condo. Were you by yourself or? Um, no, there was other carnies under there, but yeah. we all had our little sections. Is all drug addicts? Um, I can't say that there was a drug addict, but we all got high. <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were they using a needle like you? Um, you know what? I cannot confirm or deny. Uh, we'll call them drug addicts. Okay, let's, let's, I let's just, know them. I don't know who was under there with you. Yeah. But we'll call them drug addicts. I hope they're still alive. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, if you're there, that's, your life expectancy is, is ticking at that point. And yet uh, you managed to go on. So now you're in abandoned houses. You're homeless. You're in Ohio? Yes, yes. And what happened? Um, so when I'm living in the houses, back then we get, we can get um, like wooden crates and stuff like that. And so I use those to make my furniture, you know, and um, make sure I had plenty to get loaded with. And then whenever – Where get, are you getting money at that point? I, I was stealing. From people on the street or – Just from stores and everything like that. So, so you'd steal um, and resell or what? Yeah, steal and trade for the drugs. Um, so, so like luxury goods, that kind of thing, or uh, no, just just stuff from the five and dime. So, so shoes. quick sidebar: you see those guys that go into the CVSs and fill bags with shit? Is 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 that they look more gangish to me? Like they're going to resell it for money? Do you think drug addicts are doing that too? They must be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I used to steal steaks. Steaks. Yeah, because it's easy to slip down your pants. Uh. Yeah, and so. It, um, Still food, or back in the day, they used to have um, these little metal things on um, on a wire for cable, and so we'd climb up there and break those off and sell those. Oh wow, interesting! So yeah. people wonder why their cable was interrupted. Well, hey, I mean, you know, <laughs> Anthony was, <laughs> he was finding a way to get them. Right, <clears throat> it's so interesting. All right, and so you're you're now surviving with that, and what happens? And then um, throughout the summer, I do the carny <laughs> thing. Then winter time. You know, because once we leave, we get a bonus and all that. So you had a little money, you know, then I start selling weed and, you know, um, pills, um, placid hills and, you know, all of that stuff. So and, you start getting into the drug trade. Yes, yes. Is, okay. Was there any – again, I'm curious how you avoided sort of 
getting sucked into a bigger operation? Were there scary people you were having to deal with or were you just sort of – you know what I mean? How did you avoid getting into trouble with these guys? Well, our hometown is small. It's so small. So okay. everybody knows everybody. All right. Got it. You so know? Oh, you're back in your hometown. I didn't realize it was back actually. Did your yeah. mom try to get you at that point? I, uh, I heard rumors she was looking for me. Okay. But there's no way in hell. Right, right, right. right. No, because I know what would happen. Right. And you're now like, what, 17, 18? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, right. so I did that for a few years. Then uh, when I was 18, my friend Jimmy had been to California, and he's like, you know, let's go to California. And, you know, at that point, our town was small, so the only thing I knew about California was like the Beverly Hillbillies. You know, so I'm thinking, okay, well, let's go live like the Beverly Hillbillies. Swimming pools, movie stars. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we loaded up the 67 Mustang. And <laughs> so we loaded up the truck, and we moved to Beverly and, and that's exactly what we did, <laughs> you know. And <laughs> And, uh, Is he actually a redneck guy? I oh, just imagine the two of you. Going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess you could call him a redneck. Oh, I don't so know. Funny. But it was cool. Okay. You know, this is a reality show, dude. This <laughs> is <just> my reality. <laughs> I know. You know? And, and so we came out here in, in the 67 Mustang. Um, his dog, Rocky, threw up in the backseat. How did he get the Mustang? Uh, Jimmy always had you know access to, to he, stuff. He had money. Yeah. Yeah. His family had money. All right. So he, he counted out of his family. Yeah, yeah. Was he a drug addict too? Um, Cannot deny. Okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, back then he drank a lot. You oh, know? All right, all right. Yeah. You still know him today? Yeah, yeah. Is I he just, in recovery? Is he alive? Yeah, or? he's got three years. Okay, there you go. Yeah. I love it. I love yeah. it. Okay, so uh, it's, it's just uh, – this because uh, I'd love to sit down and hear Jimmy's story too, and I'm sure it's as rich and colorful as yours. That That's what makes addiction so fascinating, you know, because you're in continuous survival mode. With your brain not working right. Right. And it's just this really interesting – it's always fascinating. All right. So so all right, you come to Beverly and, and so palm we, trees. And- yeah. Yeah. And, and I see it. You know, like, I seen the Hollywood sign. I'm all excited. I'm like, this is cool. You know, then we kept going. Then we cruised by Rodeo Drive. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be living large. And then we kept on going. You know, next thing I know, we end up in Linwood. <laughs> I'm like, this ain't – I didn't see this shit on TV. <laughs> It's a little different. Yeah, just a little. Yeah. But it probably felt kind of familiar because you'd been in the running in the houses, the empty houses and stuff. So Yeah, well, it was it was different because um Ohio, our our nationality is just black and white. That's oh, all that's in our uh, town. Uh, uh. And I come out here and you guys have all kinds of different races and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And so um we hit Linwood and um Jimmy's brother had a had a a one room place or something and you know, that wasn't working, so that's when I started migrating towards the park and ran into my first gang. And is, is Jimmy's brother the one who stole his wallet and helped him look to find it? Oh, no, no, that's the manager. <laughs> well, that's later, at the, <laughs> yeah, that's that's later that, on. Right, that's the, the, the manager at the Taco Bell or whatever it yeah. was. Jack in the Box? Jack in the Box, yeah. All right, so you got, now you're on the park. You're selling drugs. Yeah, I'm I'm selling drugs. I'm um, doing drugs. Yeah, what definitely you, doing what drugs. What drugs are you doing then? Um, by then, I got introduced to Sherm. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it was did not. That, did that screw you up? I don't know, but it fucked me up pretty good. No, no, but I mean, did your thinking get wild or hallucinatory or anything? Oh, yeah. Uh, did you get psychotic? Um, probably, right? Probably. I know. Um, I remember once I smoked some Sherman, went to a, a Jack in the Box and got stuck at the counter. Like you couldn't move. I, I was frozen, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, th- yeah. I thought that chunks of my legs was granulated and it was falling off. Yeah. And, you know, I was just there. You know, What did they do with you? Um. Well, my my homies left me, but they, I'm assuming the Jack in the Box personnel had to do something with you. To <laughs> I move was, you on. I don't know somewhere. I, I moved. You know, I I left and you went start, back. You started walking. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, then I I realized that because uh, see when you when you smoke Sherm, 
there's an art to it. It's an art and science. You know, you just, you just don't dip it in. You know, I mean, you're supposed to just dip it and smoke it, but you got to take the filter out the cigarette and you know, put the, the ritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put the matchbook in there so mm-hmm. it can keep the filter open, and then you dip it. Well, I'm greedy. You know, I mean, I dipped it, then I wrapped a zigzag paper around it and dipped it again. And oh, wrapped another. I see. You're you're a, like a you're an innovator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wanted I wanted to experiment, and that's how I got stuck at Jack in the Box. <laughs> Okay, are you selling weed at that point? What are you selling? Uh, I'm selling – back then I'm selling weed. Um, that's when the mailman used to deliver cocaine. Oh. And I got introduced to ether-based cocaine back then. So we call that free base. Well – Yeah, that's free base. The ether makes the free base. Oh, okay. Is yeah. that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Well, we we wasn't rocking it back then. You know, we were, we were slamming it. Oh. And so I'm, so, I'm – okay. Yeah, and that's a big difference yeah. than, you know, shooting up for looters. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I, I did, you know, the ether-based coke and got that euphoria. Everything was great. So you now know. coke becomes your main focus. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm at the park. Is that so, immediate? Like as soon as you shot it, like, oh, shit, this is my thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, by then my head was so twisted, man. You, you could give me some toilet water and I shoot it and that's the thing. You know, it's good. And God, I t- I'm so lucky you didn't get – didn't do that, you know? Right. Anyway, okay, now, so you're in the park, and how do you get out of there? Okay, what? so I'm, I'm in a park, and um, that's going on. I had a – and that's when I got um, my first California job, um, and it was at Jack in the Box. And, and why did you want to work? Because you, you were sort of surviving with drug sales and stuff. And you were in a gang, too, then, or no? Um, no. No. Okay. I was just hanging out with them. Okay, hanging out with the gang. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, when you work at a – I've decided that um, – Working working in a restaurant gives you free food. Oh, right, right, right. Yes, yes. You know, and so I'm working at Jack in a Box. And, and you could use all your money on drugs then. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, there you yeah, go. Yeah, See? yeah, yeah. <laughs> we like here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then I could use the money I still have to till, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and so I'm, I'm back there flipping burgers and, you know, eating food, eating tacos and all that stuff and, you know, stealing out the till. But then the heat was on because they were coming up short. Yeah. And so I was lucky that they transferred me to another Jack in the Box. And that's when my insanity just went off the chart. Calibrate is a comprehensive physician-guided metabolic reset that promotes sustainable results through lifestyle changes. That's right. Calibrate works because they combine physician-prescribed, FDA-approved medication paired with lifestyle changes to improve your metabolic health. Calibrate's earliest members lost an average of 14% of their body weight, and over 20 years of research shows that the combination of GLP-1 medication and coaching can improve metabolic health and drive long-term sustained weight loss. That's right. Calibrate is not a diet. It was a program designed to achieve metabolic health. Medication is important. The Calibrate food program is not a diet. They do not use meal replacement or meal plans. Instead, they help people make healthier choices about meals and food without counting calories. That's right. When you start your Calibrate journey, you'll find a team that's with you every step of the way. Your weight doesn't reflect your willpower. Get back in control with Calibrate. $50 off the one-year metabolic reset when you use the promo code DREW at joincalibrate.com. Again, that is $50 off the one-year metabolic reset using promo code DREW when you go to joincalibrate.com. $50 off. Use that promo code DREW at joincalibrate.com. Well, I know we're all wanting to get away to trips, but uh, yeah, I want to protect ourselves and be prepared for the unexpected when traveling. One of the best ways to do that is with an Air MedCare Network Fly You Home membership. AMCN Fly You Home is all about you taking control of your care. 
If you get hurt or sick or hospitalized more than 150 nautical miles from your home, they will transport you to a hospital of your choice in a medically equipped private aircraft, and you won't have to pay a dime out of pocket for it. They've also completed more than 18,000 missions and have over 30 years of experience, so you can expect industry-leading care while recovering. Now, I know what you're thinking. This must be expensive, but it is as cheap as $134 a year for your entire household. And if you use the code Dr. Drew, that is D-R-D-R-E-W, they will give you up to a $60 gift card when you join. First of all, if you're like me and like getting out of here, I can't recommend enough the peace of mind you will feel with an AMCN Fly You Home membership. Just visit airmedcarenetwork.com slash Dr. Drew today and get that $60 gift card with the code Dr. Drew. One more time, that is airmedcarenetwork.com slash D-R-D-R-E-W and the code is Dr. Drew. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. And uh, this month, BetterHelp is wanting to remind you that you matter as much as everyone else. We take care of other people, but not so much ourselves. And stigma that still keeps people out of the therapist's office. Well, it shouldn't when we have so many options. With BetterHelp Online Therapy, there are video, phone, even live chat sessions. With your therapist, you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And you don't have to worry about that discomfort of running into somebody in the waiting room or going to the parking lot or why are you here. That I think that's one of the weird stigmas that keep people out of the therapist's office. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp Online Therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and the Dr. Drew Podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Drew. Again, D-R-E-W, that is B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Drew, D-R-E-W slash Drew, betterhelp.com slash Drew. Let's talk about it. What happened? Well, I got transferred to, um, can I talk about locations? I don't, I think, I don't see why not, unless you're worried that you're going to incur some liability with that. No, I already made it, man. Okay, go. Okay, go. So I got transferred to Costa Mesa, Jack in the Box on Harbor and Wilson. Were you in living in Orange County at that point? Um, well, I was homeless. So you figured wherever. Wherever, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm a nomad. I can go anywhere and live. Right. And know. where did you live in Costa Mesa? There's not a lot of empty houses in Costa Mesa. Uh, there's parks. Parks. We're yeah. down the parks. Yeah. And they're nice too, right? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Nice and comfy. Okay. <laughs> got, you know, you got a view and everything else, Oh, yeah. Man. Sea breeze. <laughs> <laughs> I was living large. Coast, it's close to Beverly Hills now. This is, this is Beverly Hills, man. That was close to Newport Beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm surprised you didn't graduate to like robbery and stuff because it was all right there. You know, yeah. did you? No, no, I, I wasn't very much of of a robber. I, I I was I was a drug dealer with with class. Yeah, yeah, you were above that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I'm not going to rob. Yeah, yeah, no. And so, um, I have to have some ethics, doctor. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I understand. You know, and so, um, I'm but, the, but the problem is with drugs is that people lose them all. Eventually, they lose all their all their rudders. They just pull out of the water. Yeah, you know, you've seen it. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I'm I'm down there and I'm 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 selling selling coke, you know, got a job at Jack in the Box. And um it just so happened the manager at that time used to like coke as well. Mm, and, imagine that. Yeah. And when do you kept that job? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was cool. then, then he, you know, then we became roommates. He let me move in with him. Uh, and perfect. then that's that's you know, that's when um <laughs> I remember once we were sitting there getting high and everything. It was just him and I and you know, I'm when I'm in addict mode, which thank God I'm not anymore, but when I'm in that mode, 
all bets are off. Ain't, there's nothing safe around me. Yeah. Nothing, yeah. you know. And so he, I remember one day we got high and he went to um, the bathroom or something. I did his stash and he came back and he's like, what happened to my, sh- you know, to my shit? And I'm like, I don't know, dude, you know. <laughs> And it's like, I tell you what, though, we're going to find out who did it and, and really cause some damage. Now, it's only him and I, you know. <laughs> and so um, that only went well for a couple of times. But um, <laughs> by then, you know. We and then you stole his wallet runs too, right? Of course I did. And then you tried to help him look for it? Of course. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm a roommate. You know, that got to help me. And so, you know, I'm at, I'm at Jack in the Box when I was gamefully employed. Yeah. You know, and because of my status with him, he promoted me from being the hamburger flipper to the to the shift manager. Oh boy! And so that gave me access to two cash registers and a drive-through window. Mm. And then that's when I start selling, you know, right coke out, out the right drive-through out the window. window. Of course. You know, at one point in time, you can say, "Give me a jumbo jack with extra sauce," and you drive out with a burger in the bag. And, and so, how did that start? You know what I mean? Because first of all, you had to like, you had to spot somebody in a car that you knew was a drug addict. Yeah. And well, go, hey, you ever think about? <laughs> oh, yeah. This is a- one of the uncanny things about drug addiction, is that. You know who to say that to, right? I, I had a I had a, pay, a a colleague who, when she was in her disease, went to London. She was going to go to her homeland to try to find out why she was a drug addict. You know that whole BS that addicts <laughs> do. And she was had clean for a couple of weeks and was in the National Gallery in London. And she said, "I hadn't been there half an hour before I was shooting heroin with the security guard from the main gallery." And I'm like, "How do you know to go up to the guy in the uniform and go, let's get high?' That's a that's a thing, man." Well, it's, we know, we know our kind, but it's but you can see it with accuracy and vividness that no one else can see, mm-hmm. and I think you even see it more when you're in your disease, you know, because I don't know why, but you do. And so, somebody outside the window, you just knew was an addict. And you went, "Hey, do you want to score?" Yeah, I mean, and you, then you, you developed a reputation, and off it went. Yeah, then business was booming. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, because you can, you can tell. Usually, conversation starts like, "Man, look, you look like you're fucked up today." He goes, "Man, I am." I was like, "Really? Okay." It's like fucked up on what? You know, I was like, "I just did a little coke, really. You want to do some more?" You know? And there, there it is. Yeah, you know, then word gets around. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. All right. So now, how'd you get busted there? Um, because there was too many times. I think when I stole my roommate's wallet, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, and so he, he <laughs> that's fi- just roommate. The managers. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> and so he he fired me, and yeah. um, but. Back in the day, we had, you know, pagers and all that stuff and, oh. you know, um, was it telephones outside, phone booths and shit. And there was one outside, the jack-in-the-box. And so that was that was my that was my spot. Wow. You know, Harbor and Wilson. So so after you left the jack-in-the-box, did you keep selling right out there? Oh, hell yeah. Harbor and Wilson. That was my spot, man. Right. You know, and, um, and, it's, and it's really funny because back in the days in Costa Mesa, there was only, you know, four black people. <laughs> and that was one, you know. And so when I was out there selling – at two o'clock in the morning, you know, in the winter time with no coat, sweating. What you call a tell? Uh-huh. <laughs> it was suspicious. Yeah, suspicious. that was suspicious. But you know, for me, my my disguise was I wore Dare T shirt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is my thinking at that time. You know, so yes, I so, love it. So I'm out there at two o'clock in the morning. You know, answering calls and all of that stuff, and yeah. then that's when I first got busted. Yeah, and I got sent to the county jail, and um, they gave me six months. And I got out of county jail, and I went back to my spot, Harbor and Wilson. Were you and, in six months? Huh? Yeah. Well, like, those the days when you'd actually serve your sentence. <laughs> well, now they gave me out the same day. <laughs> yeah. Well, they gave they gave me a year, uh, and I did six months and twenty days or something right, like that. Right. And so I, I got out of Orange County Jail, went back to Harbor and Wilson, and uh, was selling again. 
Then I got busted, and this time they sent me to um, Donovan Prison. Mm-hmm. And so I'm at I'm at Donovan going, well, you know, there's a problem. Yeah, something's wrong. So, yeah, there's something ain't right, you know. So I thought, okay, well, maybe it's because where I hit my drugs. Now, I'm I'm a big drug dealer, and all my drugs can fit in that little coin pocket in your jeans. Oh, yeah. And so I got out, and I went back to Harbor and Wilson, you know, and I got busted again. The time he sent me to Chino. And, and then what do you think of Chino when you were sitting there? Chino, by then, you know, when you're homeless – Three hots in a cot is yeah. it's cool. It doesn't it's not matter. So bad. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you know. So, so prison was cool. So it was just an, a break while you planned your next. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I get healthy. I do a bunch of push-ups. Back yeah. then, you could lift weights. You know, it, it was cool. It was, it was nice, actually. And were you still thinking of ways to sort of sell drugs better? Oh yeah, I was coming up with some good ones. Like, uh, well, I'm gonna put it in my sock. Ah. So you see, Gary, he in sitting something is really wrong here. I've got it in my front pocket. I should have it in my sock. Well, I'm getting from the wrong person because he must be, you know, snitching on me. So I'll get from a new person. Oh, and put how about my sock. that? How about that? Yeah, well, snitches get ditched. Yeah, yeah. So, so he took care of them already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't, we don't call snitches. <laughs> but um, and so I, I get out and I put it in my sock and I go back to Hartman Wilson and then I get busted again. This time they send me to Chino and from Chino they sent me to Avenal and I'm sitting in prison and going, okay, my time's getting longer. I'm like, okay, so. I, I know what the problem is. What's the problem? Well, the problem is, is like, I have to throw the drugs when the cops come. Oh, just throw them. I see. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. the problem. Yeah, so Did I you get, learn that inside? Did somebody teach you that or you just came to that? I came up to okay. that one, yeah. <laughs> so. I'm, a, I'm a genius. <laughs> and, uh, and so I got out and I went back to Harmon Wilson. And um, But when the cops came, I was too high and I forgot <laughs> it was in my hand. And so it's like – and so, you know, I went back to prison again and yeah. – um, I'm sitting in prison going, you know what? I really don't know what's wrong, but something isn't right. Yeah. And so I I, I I, got it. You know, you I mean, figured out what the problem was. Yes, I knew exactly what it was. Okay. And so I got out and guess where I went? Other than Harvard and Wilson. Yeah, one block south, Harvard and Victoria. <laughs> and, and this is not like him kind of thinking this. This is how drug addicts think. Well – also, as someone who grew up in that area, the the absurdity of continuing to go back to Costa Mesa, where Costa Mesa PD does not face a ton of like crime the way that like Los Angeles PD right. does. They, for they instance, would, in other words, they would all know Anthony. Oh yeah, and they would, and all of Newport Beach PD would too, because that's another community that neighbors there. So it has nothing to do but hassle, you know, kids and and people who are legit criminals. Well, why did why didn't you guys tell me that? <laughs> I should have phoned into the show. Say, that should have been my next one. It's like, hey, um, Dr. Drew, can you guys like help me on this one? And I'm kind of I'm, I'm at Harbor Victoria now. Was Gary you got a better site for him? Is there a better street he could have chosen? I, I'd say get off Harbor. That's, <laughs> it's kind of a thoroughfare. Yeah, well, you know that was my spot. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, this time um, when I got busted, the police officer and I, I didn't know about police officer had had a certain beat i didn't yeah, know yeah. that was that was his spot too yeah you know right and and he knew me well and this i mean this was like went on for years yeah. you know and um and so i think i think he got tired of arresting me or something and that's when he asked me if you know if i needed some help he just said hey well you want to do something about this exactly i wonder if he'd asked you before you just hadn't heard it Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's why he was arresting me for me to get it. I don't know. Well, I'm sure I, – I, we don't know what's going on in his head. He may have been just doing his job. Who knows? But I, I like that he find, that a cop like looked at this as a therapeutic problem. And you'll find soon Anthony and I are looking at the fucking landscape of the streets right now and everything is a therapeutic problem. But so he says you need some help and what would you say? I, I told him yeah. You know. Well, did you know what he was talking about? 
No, I, I, I don't even. I was probably higher than shit. Yeah, you know. This, but by higher than shit, what what was the drugs in? Cocaine and um, it was cocaine. I think I graduated um, from that point to coke to meth. Oh, you're on meth. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, uh. And methamphetamines is is bananas. And, and why meth? Why did? And by the way, the new meth on the streets is extra bananas. It's, is it? It's fucking people's brains up very fast. They're getting psychotic quickly. Uh, uh, a, a guy named Sam Quinonez, who we've interviewed here, wrote a book called The Least of Us, where he chronicles what the kind of meth is, why they manufacture it, why they went to it in Mexico, and how, how you can chronicle homelessness, like the the, in, the increase in homelessness based on the distribution of that meth, because mm. it just takes people to the streets and it makes them psychotic. But anyway, so you're on meth, and how did you not get psychotic on that stuff? I don't know, but I could read minds when I was on meth. Well, that's psychotic. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> that's delusion. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because I knew what you were thinking, you know. And so, uh, and it's really, it's really interesting too, because meth creates its own language. How's that? Um, because when you're when you're on meth, your brain goes faster than what your lips can move. Oh, and you end up going, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's funny because other people on meth understand you, oh, or maybe they don't need to, or they just <laughs> yeah, they just like, <laughs> whatever, man. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. it was cool. We, we call that tweaking ease. Tweak and ease. Yeah. Is that is that a, is that a term that's widely accepted, or is that just yeah out to there? It is. Yeah. When out you're there. when you're a tweaker, you speak tweak and ease. Yeah. Tweak and ease. Okay. Yeah. I, I like I like the being privy to the terminology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and we can read each other's minds too. It was mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when I switched from injecting cocaine to methamphetamine. Yeah. Because I was a, I was injecting a half a gram of coke at a time. It's too expensive. Huh? Too expensive. Oh, back then Coke was cheap. Oh. Oh, yeah. It, well, especially when you pick it up for somebody and you pinch, yeah, pinch yeah. the bag. Yeah, yeah, it was actually free. But um, what would you put in place of it? Nothing. Wouldn't you sort of try to make the volume big with something? No. You just pinch it and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah that was finder's feet. Okay, got it. Got yeah, it. that was yeah. part of the game. I see. I see. Or you didn't have to come back to me to get it either. Right. Okay, but you would eventually. Right. <laughs> That's the sad part about it. Yes. You know, but. um. So I thought I could inject a half a gram of methamphetamine. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Man, I got spiritual. You know, I'm like, oh, help me, Jesus. I thought I was dying, man. My heart was beating so fast, sweat popping out. And so, um, and so by then I was was selling meth, and you know, um, that's when the cop asked me if I wanted some help. I told him, yeah. You know, and then um, I didn't know, but he knew somebody that had a treatment center, and he he told her about me. And when I heard I was going to a treatment center, I got another bright idea. Uh-oh. Yeah, I'm going to sell drugs out the treatment center. Or, or maybe to people in the treatment center. Well, I didn't think about that. Oh, okay, okay, good. Yeah. You, you had your ethics, good. Yeah, yeah. 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 I got some class, you know. <laughs> and so um, – and I was going to do that. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I believe in God and all that stuff. And I think God intervened because usually when you're in jail, they release you. You get out like at 1 or 2 in the morning, you know. And this time they released me in the morning – to somebody, hmm. and that was when Jill picked me up, and um, it was it was a trip because here's this lady. She was all nice and everything, and she's like, "Hey, you want a cigarette?" And I'm like, "What's the deal?" You know, what do you want from me? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Because when you're out there in the streets living your life, the only time you get anything from anybody is if they want something back. And she's like, "No, dude, I don't want anything." You know, and then she asked me if I wanted some Chinese food. You know, and. I'm like, yeah, I'll never forget that. And then she took me to this treatment center and she said, do me a favor. If you're going to leave, don't jump over the fence. Just walk out the gate. And I'm like, you're going to trust me? She goes, yeah, why not? 
And uh, then they put me in an apartment by myself. And I didn't know till later on that the reason why I was by myself because I was so angry. They didn't want to put nobody in there with me. You were agitated. Dude, I was a mess. I was a mess. I had a mentality that might makes right and only the strong survive. I mean, that's what I learned from being out there for so long. And that was my that was my behavior. Mm. And so I was in this treatment center, and uh, that's when I got introduced first to a twelve step program, you know. And um, and I'll never forget my first encounter of that. You know, I went to a low bottom indigent men's detox for my first meeting. What, what city were you at at that point? Uh, Costa Mesa. They the, have wow. Do they have? Do you know about that, Gary? These there's places? quietly a, a pretty big treatment. <laughs> well, I know it's a big community, there. but I didn't know they had the the hardcore stuff. Yeah. So like impact house kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, can I say it to me? I don't see why not. Charlie Street. Charlie Street. Okay. Yeah. Love Charlie Street, man. Yeah. Because it's like back in the days, the sulfur smelled like urine. I mean, Charlie Street is the place where if if nobody wants you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where you go. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen people pull up and just push somebody out their car and throw their trash back, pull the clothes out and drive away. And that's it. Yeah. And so that's why I went to my first meeting. And um, those guys were rough, man. I mean, it was nice. I loved it because it was just like me. You know, they would tell me shit like, if you want to drink, here's a couple of dollars. Go get drunk. Yeah, yeah. You're wasting our time. Yeah, you yeah. You know, I don't like, okay. I like what if it. you tried to talk? Huh? What if you did? Would they let you talk? At yeah, first? They went for a little bit. Yeah, and they you say, know. then they say, shut the fuck up. And that, yeah. was my, that was my first share. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I raised my hand. I go, hey, I'm Anthony. I'm an alcoholic. And this treatment center is abusing me. <laughs> you know, I got to make up my bed and I got sweep floors and shit. And that ain't fair. And for, what happened? They told. Then the next guy, he, you know, he raises his hand. He goes, "Hey, you know what? My name is so and so. Why don't you just shut the fuck up and you know, you're a whiny little bitch and all that shit." And I'm like, "Damn, you know, we can do that up in here." And it's like, "Okay, then, you know, because there was no rules. You know, it's like if you want to fight, go outside in the parking lot." And was, there, it. was there a professional running the group, or was it just a just a just us? <laughs> Were there professionals in the unit? There must have been somewhere. No. Come on. It's all volunteers. So it's like a halfway house kind of thing? Um, it's just it's a low-bottom indigent men's detox, period. It had to have been somebody with some training in there. It would have been. No. No, it's all volunteer. Oh, man. All volunteer. That's I mean, incredible. You, Did you go back and volunteer there ever? Yeah. So so it's really, it's people, the six, the winners come feel they need to go back. They go back and. Well, we, we have to give it away to keep it. Yeah, No, I understand. I understand. But but that's a interesting place to go back and and. Serve your time, you know. Yeah, and serve. It's great. I'd, I'd love it. Yeah. I'd love it. Okay. You know, you go down there and you know you talk to the new guy. You know, they call him the wet one. You go down and talk to the wet one who's shaking and baking because yeah. ain't, ain't none of this chemical detox shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you shake and bake. It's on your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a seizure in the middle of a meeting. We just move the chairs to the side and yeah. go ahead and bounce. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, and um, and so. That's where he told me to shut the fuck up and ask him to be my sponsor and <laughs> you know all that other shit. And, it's amazing that you sort of instinctively knew to go with it. You know, it's just amazing. Dude, I was tired, man. You were t- yeah. I, was, I was tired. You know, being out there for all those years. Did you did you push back on the God stuff? Um, not really. I always thought there was a God. I just mm-hmm. thought a different version of him. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought God was like a rescue kind of God. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, God, don't let me OD today. And, yeah. You know, God, let the judge be lenient on me. And, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it was never like the God I got today. Uh, never, never. Interesting. And so you get sober for a while, and and then um, I thought I had it, you know. And How so long did you stay sober this time? I, I had eighteen months, Oof. and life was good. I got a job as a telemarketer. Were you at Charlie Street the whole time, or did you no? No, of- I was in the treatment program. So there was like a halfway house or something, or what? Well, no, I was actually in a treatment program that had counselors and stuff, but I would go to meetings Which outside. One? Um, the treatment program? Yeah, Nancy Clark and Associates. Okay, I love her to death. Yeah, I yeah. love. And Nancy. still Costa Mesa. Yeah. 
And so um, and then I, I finished the treatment program. She put me in charge of managing a sober living house. And, you know, I thought I was cured. I can go out and drink like a gentleman. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you start drinking first? Was that the first? Yeah, I did. Yeah. You know, I, I, mean, I could handle it. I was sober 18 months, don't you know? Yeah. And, I, and how did you reconcile what we were doing in the meetings and what you were doing with the new newbies and stuff? It was It was – it was tough, but that's but that's the attic thinking again. So, right. what, what, how did you think? It, what did your brain tell you? Well, I'll stop one day. Or, or how about I, I would imagine you'd say, "Well, those guys are newbies; they can't handle it." <laughs> I can't. I'm. I can. I'm okay. I'm the. I'm the counselor. I. I you know. You didn't I, even go that far. I didn't even go that far. <laughs> it, it's just once. Once you start drinking after you had some recovery, yeah, and you're knee deep in it, yeah. Then your drinking is is fucked up. Yeah, it's it's gone, you know. And I'm thinking, okay, well, now that I started drinking, then I can stop when I want to. Yeah, I had no clue. I mean, I'd always heard about the phenomenon of craving, you know, and the allergy is like, okay, that's cool, but that's for them. <laughs> you know, that book was written way back then. I'm, the big book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm the new version. I got this. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so I went out. <laughs> I, I went out and did some controlled drinking, and then I went over to my friend's house who had a you know a little meth lab in his bathroom and. And yeah. how, how did the thinking go where you went over there? Do you remember? Um, I went over because I was going to save him. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I that's, my, the, that's the thinking I love. It's like putting yourself in the environment where you're definitely going to use, and your brain goes, yeah, yeah, you need to move that furniture, man. They need help. You go, you've got to go over there. Right, <laughs> right. He needs yeah. to be saved. He's got a meth lab. Yeah. Get him out of there. Yeah, exactly. And I was, I was going to talk him out of it. <laughs> you know, that was my intention. You know, then he had like Nintendo and we're playing games and shit. And, and I just put my little 12 step shit to the side. Then everybody's getting high. And then, you know, when you're out there selling drugs and you're nobody and you're a drug dealer, you get status. You mm. think you're somebody all of a sudden. Mm. And when I was in recovery, I was a nobody. Mm. Just, just some fool going to meetings and blah, blah, blah. But I go over there and all of a sudden, you know, he's like, dude, that's my friend. You know, I can trust him better than any of your other people. Yeah. It's like, watch this. He'd give me a wad of money. I'd hold the money through the duration, give him back the money. You know, then he gave me the sack and I can hold the sack. Oh, you know? boy. And it, so and he said so, he was working you. Yeah. And so I was a king again. Yeah. You know, instead of being this little mild manner recovery dude that had a telemarketing job, I had stacks of money and big bags of drugs. And, you know, then all the people. So, so you missed the glamour. You missed the, yes. the grandiosity. The, yes. The, the action. All, yeah. I was all that again. You were, you were, you were, you'd been stuck in Squaresville, man. <laughs> man. Dude. And it was uncomfortable. Squaresville. Squaresville, man. So you really looked at the real world, so to speak, as just, ugh, those, those are, that's for chumps. Right. Boring. Right. Yeah. I mean, you and guys you still had that thinking at the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so I thought that, you know, I'm cured now. I can, I can do this. I can go over there and hang out. I can hold the sack. I can hold money. Yeah. You know, I'm not stealing from nobody. Yeah. And then came that one moment, man, where, I'll never forget some girl was there. And there's a saying underneath every skirt lies a slip. <laughs> you know. And and she was she was there and she was injecting drugs and she was in, she had a spoonful of meth and a syringe and she sat right across from me with no underwear on. Oh boy. And then she goes, "You want some?" Oh. I'm like, "Uh-huh." <laughs> I was without an effective defense, Doctor Drew. It got it got me, man. No, I got it. It got me. It's it's really putting yourself in those positions that your brain does, and people think it's about craving. It's not. It's about it's about motivational states and thinking. 
Your brain is motivated to go back into those states for the, those environments for the reasons you've all been discussing. But then the thinking takes you all the way. Right. Yeah. And the thinking is a motivated state. Our thinking is fucked up. We rely way too much on thinking in this country. You got you to be skeptical of thinking. And nowhere more so than in the disease of addiction. Yeah. So now you're out again. Yeah. And so once I once I took that first one, you yeah. know, and that was really really hard to try to hide. It was really hard because you're still running a program and stuff. Allegedly. Yeah. Yeah. Who got you? Um, when I got pulled over in Riverside. Oh, it was a cop again. Yeah, it was a cop. Because yeah. I mean, I start. I sell- would think because you're around other addicts at the treatment center, they would know right away when you're getting high. Well, if they did one thing, one and they get, it makes them pissed off. They're like, "Hey, you get high, and I don't fuck you. I'm gonna get high too." Yeah, but you know, everybody's hips looking cool, yeah. so we're not gonna snitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we'll yeah, we'll yeah, just yeah. let you burn out on your own. Right, right, right. Forget about that piece. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. See, this is why this is why I have to when I work with addiction, I have to have addicts around me to to remind me. My normie brain, you know, it, the, the full, full blossom of addiction thinking. Yes, I got it. Yeah, we we have skills, man. Yes, yes, I know, I know. I gotta remind, <laughs> just gotta be reminded. Thirty years in that field, I still gotta be reminded of stuff. Yeah, intuition. Yeah, yeah. and so um, that happened, and you know, I'm I'm all jacked up on meth, you know, because of course I go right back to the needle. Yeah, you know, and I'm trying to maintain a part in this recovery community under the influence. And in my head, because meth makes you delusional, and I'm thinking, well, somebody knows. And are you going to meetings? Uh, yeah, I attempted to. Oh, yeah, oh, that was a whole thing in itself. Because oh. meth makes you sweat, and I'm sitting yeah. in meetings, I'm all like sweating and shit. Yeah. You know, my they, hands all trembling. They do know. They, they, you're, you weren't just paranoid. They do know. What's yeah. Going on. Well, I think my friend Marnie kind of had a clue. <laughs> sure. Because I, I mean, normally I go to Marnie's house and I eat up everything. Ah. You know, I go with it with no appetite. So, uh, hmm. Yeah. You know, I didn't know I was like shrinking up and everything else. Yeah, yeah. But um. I, and and once once that once that thing goes off, I do what I know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I selling drugs make sort of like made me feel popular. Mm-hmm. You know, important. I, yeah, I'm ex, I'm extremely important. Yeah. You know, don't you know who I think I am? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and so I'm starting to sell drugs again. But one thing I knew for sure. Don't go back to Harbor and Wilson. <laughs> I learned that lesson. Did you go to Victoria and Harbor? No, I didn't even go. To, I didn't oh. even go to Coast. I got pulled oh. over in Riverside. Oh, I see. You were going out in the IE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you heard about meth in the IE. Yeah, <laughs> well, I was delivering that. Yeah, right, of course. Yeah, and I got pulled over with sixty-seven grams of meth in the backseat of my car. Jesus Christ! Oh my God! And you know what, Doctor Drew? It's really fascinating because a head full of program and a body saturated with drugs. It's very uncomfortable. It, it's it it just screws you up. Yeah, it's miserable. And I and I wanted to be sober so bad, but yeah. I couldn't stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then I did that Hail Mary prayer. It's like, okay, God, you know, I know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, do your do. Right. You know, and I was I was fortunate that I didn't die. Instead, I got arrested again. Did you go to prison again? Yeah. How long? Um, they sentenced me. <laughs> the first time they came with um, what did they t- offer me? Twelve years with eighty percent. Mm. And I'm like, oh, hell no. It's like, I'm loaded. I don't even know what you guys are talking about. You know, and so I, I called the lady at the treatment center and go, can you help me again? Oh. You know. Did she? Yeah, she did. Oh. She did. And that's what makes me like. That's, See, that's, that's the way it should be, man. Yeah. That's exactly the way it should go. You should, somebody, something's got to wake you up, the law, and then the law should refer you for treatment. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. That's how it works. And, and I, I I love her, man. I mean, she's You still my, have a relationship with she's all around? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I still have a tight That's relationship good. with her. So then this time he gets over. Uh, yeah. And um, so she came, represented me. Instead of 12 with 80, they gave me five with half. 
And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I remember telling the judge, it's like, you know, he goes, you have anything to say, you know, before I sent, after I sentenced you? I'm like, yeah, thanks, Your Honor. I'm an alcoholic. You know, like trying to get away with that shit again. He's like, well, son, you got plenty of time to sober up. <laughs> like, okay. Well, you tried to, you tried to say I'm, just, I'm sick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He said, that's okay. We got a place for sick people <laughs> like you. <laughs> it's called the penitentiary. Oh, goodness. And uh, so I went and did two years and, um, and that was my sobriety date, March 29th, 1999. Congratulations. You know. And, and then how did nursing happen? Uh, nursing happened when I, in, the, in the middle of my disease summer, I tried to go to school. I tried, but I couldn't, I couldn't finish like anything. Like junior college or something? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, tried to, um, I tried to go to school. And That's a weird instinct for a drug addict. What, what made you, did somebody advise you or did you see that as a way out somehow? I had um, – somewhere I got a job as a janitor at um, one of the psychiatric facilities. And part of transitioning to become a psych tech is you had to go to school. And so I tried to go to school. Were you but befriending the psych techs? Did you find out what that was all about and stuff? I, I did not. I just knew. You just saw it. Yeah, I, I seen it. It's yeah. like, well, you guys ain't treating people fair. I, I can do better. Oh, interesting. You yeah. were going to go in as a vigilante. Right. Wow. You're going to save all the I'm psych gonna, I'm, I'm going to save them. Wow. Right. So, wow. So do you go to Al-Anon now? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was in my disease, man. That, that, Still. Yeah, <laughs> We yeah, might want to go to the Al-Anon here. Yeah. That's what that is. But okay. So good. I don't care what gets people sober. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so now you, you try nursing. And now you really get sober, and then you try again. Yeah, because still one, the psych tech thing in mind, or yeah, psych tech first. Because yeah. one of my things was uh, making amends to my to my life is I had to finish everything that I started. I had to complete the projects I started, and that was who, who one. got you to do that? Just part of my program. Yeah, but usually somebody points it out to you or something, or that's just just came out of you spontaneously. It, no, um, two years. Two years um, in my sobriety, I went back to the park, uh. and then that's when I had my conversation with God. That's, that's, that was, I call it my God test. You know, I sat at the bench. I go, you know what, God, check this out. Were you testing yourself? I was testing God. Oh. I was testing God. Uh. And I said, you know what? I know cars run on gas. I know this for a fact. And I know this bench is solid. I know that for a fact. Uh. Prove to me that you exist. And then that's when I had my spiritual awakening. And what happened? What did you experience? Because um, this is the mystery part of a recovery for me, so keep going. Okay. One thing I learned that um, for me, God reaches out to people in which a way that, in which they understand it completely, yeah. and that's how it works. Yeah. And at that point, after I said that prayer, I looked down, and I, I mean, like there was like all kinds of little animals and shit around a bench. Is it for real or just no? That's real. Yeah. I was two years sober. Yeah. And and that happened, and the trees got really super three D, mm. and then. You know, it came to me. It's like there's three things I have to do no matter what. I can't hate. I can't intentionally hurt anybody, and I have to finish everything I start. And these thoughts came flooding in all at once. Yes, and I got this overwhelming peace within me that's still with me that's totally freaking awesome. Oh, my gosh. And from that point forward, I just took off and said, okay. I, I'm going to ask you to put your nurse hat on for a second. And, and again, I'll telegraph that Anthony had a – extensive career in nursing and nursing management and we'll get into all that but um, what do we think that is? And how do we get people to have that? Because people that have sustained recoveries always have something like that. Some clarity, some moment, some something like that. There's um, there's different... Because that's the part I, I just don't even speak to it because it's, it's like I, what can I do with that? I can't you know you got to well, one one you got to find that on your own, kind of. Yes, thing. Yeah. yes, and 
I think because of my intense sincerity of looking for an answer, I, th- I, th- I believe that you find what you're looking for. You to know, keep, so keep looking. Just keep looking. You know, and a lot of times recognize what you see when you get it. Be open to it. Exactly. Allow it. Yeah, because a lot of people have little god shots. I'm like, oh, that was just luck. The coincidence. Isn't right. that interesting? Yeah. 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 You yeah. know, and it's like, no, this was profound. And it's still with me today. Mm. And I laugh because the reflection of my life validates what I felt happened. In other words, you, the the progress since that date has been, yeah. Yeah, I'm. I've borne witness to it. I'm your friend and witness. Yeah. So I, I knew something happened. We never really talked about this ever, you and I. No. But I knew some component of something happened to you that way. Whether yeah. it was absolute clarity in prison, some people get, it, some people find it there. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. or, and you was at the park bench, which is poetic. Yeah. Yeah. And and so and I've learned. Um, I think I was reading Jane Watson, and she's um a, a nurse, an old nurse philosopher or something, but she was talking about the Caritas moment. The what, what kind? Uh, Caritas or Caritas, something like that. Yeah. It's where you um you learn to love yourself so much that it spreads out to your immediate environment. And the environment becomes loving, then it spreads out and it keeps going. And we're all part of this this universal cycle that's all connected. So you feel like that. Yes. Yes. And so... Um, what do you think about people that are going down and doing hallucinogens to try to find that? Well, you're kind of like creating a false sense. It's not natural. Mm. I mean, if it's not in you, right? It's coming from without. Yeah, I mean, I, when I was drinking and using, I went to a whole bunch of Grateful Dead shows, and you know, I've seen all kinds of shit. Did but, you ever do hallucinogens? Oh hell yeah! yeah well, shrooms, shrooms or something. Yeah, I mean, whatever. I mean, <laughs> mushrooms, acid. I mean. Hell, back in the day, if you tell me put some sand in my butt, I'd go to the beach and do a naked booty scoop. You know what I mean? It didn't matter. If it get you high. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Just tell me. I'll do it. Yeah. How many of you have been thinking about changing your backyard? Well, you're going to love this idea. Michael Phelps Swim Spa by Master Spas. A Michael Phelps Swim Spa combines the benefit of a pool with the therapy of a hot tub. Variety of sizes, the Michael Phelps Swim Spas by Master Spas have water currents you can use to swim, do aquatic exercises, and fun with the kids as well. It will reinvent family time. Of course, the water buoyancy will help you relieve pressures on problematic joints. You can enjoy relaxation in the massage therapy seats. The Michael Phelps Swim Spas are 100% made in the USA by Master Spas, the world's largest swim spa manufacturer. And you will love your Michael Phelps Swim Spa by Master Spas. I want you to go to masterspas.com, put in the promo code DREW, and you will save $1,000 on a Michael Phelps Swim Spa or $500 on a Master Spa hot tub that is at masterspas.com promo code drew well if you're on a date and you're trying to get a perfect night or a big anniversary together you do not want erectile dysfunction getting in the way if you've been experiencing ed visit getroman.com slash drew to speak with a u.s licensed healthcare professional about this problem and if you're prescribed, you will get $15 off your first month of treatment. With ED treatments, you can have the self-assurance that comes from knowing you are prepared. Pick up your phone or laptop and complete a free online visit with a U.S. licensed healthcare professional. Roman offers five prescription treatments, including the brand and generic versions of the most common ED medications. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If prescription medication is appropriate, it ships to you with free two-day shipping. 
To be sure your package gets there in time for that special night, be sure to put that order in on time. With Roman, you get free ongoing care for erectile dysfunction, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. Whole process is straightforward, convenient, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Go to GetRoman.com slash Drew and complete the online visit. That is GetRoman.com slash Drew. So, so, um, so you, I'm going to kind of speed things up a little bit here. Uh, th- and thank you for, for allowing this audience to bear witness to this because it's such a great story. And so, so illustrative of this, this condition that we're, that people are suffering with by the hundreds of thousands, millions today. It's, it's, it's sort of the thing of our time, right? This condition, mm-hmm. this, this spiritual malady, this drug addiction, it's just all the same stuff. So now you have a you move on to nursing. You get your clinical degree. Did you work on the wards or anything for a while? You go straight to psych. Um, I've always worked psych. Yeah. And did you did you work in as a nurse on the wards, or did you go right into management? Um, no, I started out as a psych tech, then I went and got my RN, and then um, I worked as an RN for a while in psych. Where? Then, what kind of thing? Um, I worked at um, what was it? it was um, were you passing meds? Were you? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. totally. Yeah. Just. Yeah. yeah, behavior modification, behavior yeah. management, medication. Yeah. Nurse psyche is, is 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 not an easy job. Oh, I like it. I, I do too. I used to spend. I would used to hang out with the the nurse psych nurses because they're, you know, it's interesting with nursing. E- each area has its own personality. Mm-hmm. Like you know, medical ICUs have a personality, ERs have a personality, psych nurses have a personality. Drug units, ER, uh, drug units uh, in a psych hospital, different than the psych nurses per se. Yes, you know it's yeah. it's all different, and and I enjoy all of it. You know, I, I really like hanging out with the nurses. I can't say enough about nursing. It, it's it's people don't understand. They'd rather talk to a nutritionist than a nurse. Talk to a nurse. They know what the hell's going on. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. Especially you know if if it's in their discipline, like you on the psych side. How'd you get a nurse management? I um I I worked for a hospital. Um, one. When you stop doing drugs, you're able to like stick around and hold commitments <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, you, and you plus you were finishing what you started. Yes, yeah. yes. And so I moved. I, I worked for one company for 15 years, and um, as I, a, just a ward nurse. Yes. Where, at, where was that? It was um. It was at Westminster TRC. That's a long time to work in a psych hospital. Yeah. I, I did, I, somehow that piece escaped me with you. Yeah. That's a lot of experience. Yeah. Did, did you uh, work in all different areas or was it a general psych? Well, how, well, how did that work? Just psych. Just, just psych. general psych. Yeah. Was it a locked unit like psychotic? Oh, yeah. Person? Oh, there's a locked ward. Every facility I worked at was locked. Okay. So you're dealing with suicidal, psychotic drug addicts? Um, Sometimes. Sometimes that most, was a secondary, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I work substance abuse, you know, for for where um, a, a place called um, Cornerstone. Oh, Cornerstone's a good place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I worked there. Actually, Shit. I developed their aftercare, their long term aftercare. That's a, it's inland from Costa Mesa, but that area, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I used to refer people to Cornerstone. I bet you saw some of my patients. It's a possibility. Because I used to rely on Cornerstone for stuff the complex. We I treated really, really. I, I treated people sicker than you. <laughs> so I, I treated really sick people. And we would need – and Cornerstone did a good job with those guys, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and so I, I needed the psych piece and they they always decided to oblige me with people like you working there. And so I could send really sick people that need a longer-term mm-hmm. dual stuff. Yeah. Uh, so thank you. You probably saw some of my patients. There's no there's no way you didn't. So what, you were there from when to when? Um, Cornerstone – Cornerstone was short. I was there from 2002 to 2000 and 
96. I was referring people there then. I'm okay. More in the late 90s, I'd say probably, but but I was definitely that, – that was my go-to in Orange County for sure. Uh, and then you had relations with some halfway houses from Cornerstone, if I remember right. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, which that's, ones were those? Um, that's where um, – because they had their own built-in yeah. um, places. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I started um, actually CARE. You know, CARES. A care, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, care unit, yeah. And yeah. I, well, it was called, I think, Cornerstone Assisted Recovery Environment. Yeah, or something yeah. Like that. that was. That, I remember when they opened that up. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, I think they were going somewhere else before, somewhere more towards Newport, part of that. But anyway, that's business. Yeah. Um, interesting how we've that overlap is there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so now you're nurse manager. Now uh, you get into management. Yeah, now I moved up to management over at um, Westminster. Okay, and, and nurse management for those of you that. Are, don't work in hospitals is no bullshit. It is a fuck ton of stress and so much paperwork, policies and procedures up the speaking of sand in your butt, you might you'd prefer that. <laughs> right? Hey, right. Jayco's coming in, Jayco reviews, policies and procedures. What are the Jayco standards? How do we meet them? Right. Right? That, right. Oh my God, I felt so bad for nurse managers when I was working in psych hospitals. And and it's even worse than on the medical side, I think, somehow. Because you're sort of it's bigger chunks, and you're more alone as a nurse manager, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oof. And so I went through that, and uh, I was I was fortunate to be a nurse manager through COVID in a psych hospital, right? You know, and that's when we got, kind of got to know each other, right? Yeah. Right. And I, I visited that place, and that was a I, very high quality operation I, compared to what I, you know. You, you were mostly working in really good places. I, I unfortunately got exposed to the whole spectrum, oh. and, and uh, it's not all good out there. It's not all good. That's why patients have to be careful mm-hmm. where they go. And by the way, even a good place isn't always good because right. it, it's dependent on the personnel. The staff is what makes a, a psych unit, period, a particular drug unit, and uh, and the alumni, and the alumni and the community support and that kind of thing. And then when did you write the book? Um, I wrote the book. When did I write um, I wrote the book right when I started um, becoming tenure at the college, probably three years ago. It's from Park Bench to Park Avenue. I strongly recommend it. And I'm going to give you five minutes now to give your pitch, which is why you're here, <laughs> which is I got to know uh, Anthony because um, Christina um, – Christine Devine did a story of him when I was working at Fox 11, and I was like, I got to know that dude. (laughs) I I could see who you were just in the two-minute little piece he did, and I was like, that is somebody that can really help other people who are on the streets and whatever. When you've been there, your your impact is so massive on on the people that are out there suffering. Uh, and I just, I just knew it. I just knew who you were, just and what you'd be, and and the. I didn't know how extraordinary and colorful the story was, but I'm not so surprised. Uh, and I didn't know we overlapped until this very minute. Um, but tell us about what you're doing now in Brown Manor and what people need to do if they want to help. Okay, um, I'm currently since I'm from Ohio, I bought a 19. 19- and, and, and by if I interrupt, I like to gush about your stuff. He's getting a, a nurse practitioner training and license now, which is going to make him eligible to do anything clinically, really. So keep going. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's true. <laughs> but um, I um, since I'm from Ohio, um, because my brother actually pissed me off, <laughs> I, I, I bought a 1916 abandoned mansion, and I'm converting that into a program for the homeless people, and that's Brown Manor. Um, mainly, and and I I didn't know this because I just do things and just lead the results up, but I didn't realize that it costs so much money. Mm. 
And so I'm trying to sell books from um, Park Bench to Park Avenue. There's a GoFundMe page, you know, whatever it takes to get the community involved. Look up Brown Matter at GoFundMe.com. Yeah. And so um, we're refurbishing that. And it's and it's fun. You know, I I loved it when I first walked in that house because an abandoned mansion after so many years looked like crap. Yeah. You know, but that was me. You know, after so many years, I looked like crap. So I felt at home. And, Mm. you know, now you're probably living in places like that at one point. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and I always tell people too. It's like because when I bought the property, I bought the parking lot, and I owned the, um, the alley there. Uh. And so one day I'm just going to go and just lay in the alley. And then if the police come and go, "What are you doing here?" It's like I'm at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is my home. Yeah, yeah. And so um, we're we're refurbishing that. Um, I'm writing a program specifically designed for homeless people. Um, as far as the transition, because I, I know that lifestyle. I know the mindset. And Anthony's gone downtown with me and walked on uh, Skid Row with uh, Andy Bales and the, the Union Rescue Mission. And he showed me things that I couldn't see on the streets. <laughs> it was, was amazing. You know, who's dealing drugs and who had meth up their vagina. <laughs> that was a great stash spot, huh? Yeah, you showed me, and there it was. People were lined up right beside her. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's uncanny what you can do if you have the experience. And and now we were there with Michael Schallenberger and people like that. And uh, and now the governor of California is finally, God, thank you, starting to talk some sense about uh, what we need to do with homeless. So yeah, and I'm glad that they're doing that. Yeah, I, I am. And um, like I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this uh, this program out there. It's just going to be great. Um, Brown Manor. Um, the funds from the book is going. Everything I do goes from there. But mm-hmm. um, I'm glad you mentioned the. Um, the program or the stuff the governor's doing because I was looking at that and right now it's still in a proposal state. I know, you know, but and I and I hope that we don't fuck it up. I know. Please send what letters of support to your representatives. Do not <laughs> let them get in the way of this. He is doing the right thing. Finally, finally, dear God, finally, and let it happen, please. It, it'll literally save hundred thousand lives this year just by doing what's right and treating people who are sick like every other fucking country on earth does. Um, all right, my friend, we got to kind of wrap this up. And then there's a book maybe coming out and maybe a little little doc, little, all little things coming out, right? Yeah, yeah. Where we should have, they look for that? Um, we have some stuff in the work. Um, we're going to surprise everybody with where, it. Where do they find it? Um, where are we going to put it up? Want to find it on my website? I'll just push it out from there? Yeah, yeah. All right, Your doctor, website. Doctor.com. When Andy has, Anthony has stuff to push out, we'll push it out on my website. Yeah, and then we have the Illustrated Guidebook yeah. um, that's floating around. That's at um, – AnthonyHowardBrown.com. That has all of that stuff Good. on there. Good. Always a privilege. I, I learn something new every time I talk to you. Uh, it, it's You're an inspiration. I know you you, you always be, are mystified when I say that to you. But, yeah. but it's the truth. <laughs> it is the truth. And whether it was God or you or the great magnet or I don't give – I don't know. Um, I, but I'm open to all of it uh, and you're living proof of it. And so uh, keep going. I, I just sit and applaud and support in any way I can. And I still feel like, I don't know, you're going to do something substantial with this homeless thing. You're going to help us in some way. So, And it's not just going to be Brown Manor, but best of luck with Brown Manor because I know that will be a quality operation. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, Dr. Drew. All right. It is AnthonyHowardBrown.com and at Brown underscore Manor. Uh, and uh, I'm certain a lot of you were uh, touched, awakened, learned from this story. And because uh, we always learn from cases, that's how people really learn. They don't learn by me going, "Here's a drug addict brain. Here's what the brain." No, humans, the stories, the narratives, the experiences of of our peers and, and uh, colleagues. That's what really impacts people. So, thank you for sharing. All right, thank you. All right, we'll see you next time. Okay. 
For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Stream the biggest movies and TV shows for free on Pluto TV. Watch movies like Titanic and G.I. Joe The Rise of Cobra, plus TV shows like CSI and Star Trek The Next Generation. Starting this month, check out the 24-7 Stargate channel exclusively on Pluto TV, plus hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and TV shows absolutely free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device and start watching today.